copyrighted program created by Rio Grande. Put in his full share of oars around here. Oh, why not? It's his case register. 
Give me another beer, Dan. Come on, right up. Say, our raven hasn't been in for a Saturday night quarter of cigarettes yet, has he? Well, I ain't seen him. He doesn't hurry up, though. He'll have to get him somewhere else. Yeah. And here's your ear. All right, I guess this is our coming in now. No. Three guys I never saw before. Yeah. Well, maybe I've got a day for something that won't be in, huh? Right, the one who just sat down at the front of the bar, Dan. He's still got a sour puss on him if I ever saw one. Yeah, looks as if he wanted to bite somebody. Well, huh? Don't lean over the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the other two are coming down here. I'll move over a seat so they can get a couple of stools together. Come on, Johnny. Here's a couple empty seats. Yeah. Give us two beers. Come on right up. Hey, this Johnny's dead, dead, ain't he? Okay. Ought to have a little music, don't you think? Yeah. Look, there's one of them nickel phonograph machines over there against the wall. That ought to do. Well, wait a minute while I see if I can't find something good on it. Sure. Maybe, maybe it'll give the place a little light, huh? Anything special you like? No, just use your most judgment. Yeah, that's how to do it. Mr. Price, uh, you notice the young fellow just put a nickel in the machine? Not the head of Why, man? He's wearing gloves. Shows the careful driven. George, you're right. Now, why would two young fellows be wanting to wear gloves on a warm night like this? I can think of one reason why they might. Yeah, but I'm thinking too. Look here, man. If I started a trade, I'm going to get your hands up. Look out. I knew it. That was our ray just come in, Mr. Kirk. Look out, man. I'm quite with a guy in the front of the barn. What you doing, Mr. Kirk? Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. All right, you can run on your boy. Well, I think I'm just here. Look out for that other guy behind the bar. He may be playing possum. Yeah, I plug him right between the eyes. Hurry it up. Okay, I got the door. Let's get out of here. Out the back where the car's me out of right near the door. Few minutes after the bandits make their getaway, Captain William J. Pendray, chief of the Los Angeles Sheriff's Bureau of Investigation, arrives at the scene in company with Sergeant D.A. Morford and Deputy Larry Connor. Well, the bandits sure made a mess of this place, Captain Kentry. Yeah, they generally do when something happens to start them off. What I'm thinking about are these three fellas they laid out, Tommy. Well, here comes the ambulance surgeon now. How's everything, Doc? Yeah. I'm afraid we got a wagon load for you this time. Pick up, eh? Well, it's coming. Look them over, Doc, and see if we have a homicide wrap along the rest. This fellow up front here is beginning to come through. Oh, oh, my head. You'll be all right on your scaffold. One of them hold-up fellas took him over the head with a peanut machine. Uh, you're a bartender here, aren't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. My name's Dan Murphy. Uh, tell me exactly what happened here tonight. <laughs> Plenty. Okay, boys, take your scaffold out of the ambulance. Multiple scaffold wounds and a bullet in them. Do you know the name of the man they're taking out, Murphy? Oh, sure. He's a regular customer here. Name's Don Ross. He, he started the fireworks by putting up a fight tonight. Yeah, how do you mean? Well, when one of those birds held a stick up, a, a friend of his came in the front door. The guy that was hit with peanut machine. Uh-huh. That's when Ross made a grab at the guy sitting next to him. One of the three struck up. Yes, and then what? It was too close for the guy to shoot him, so he, he hit Ross over the head with his gun. Uh-huh. Every time he hit him, the gun went off. That's what busted most of the glass. I see. Now, what about the third man? Oh, he's the bird that started the phonograph machine. Besides that, he's the bird that shot Mr. Phelps, my dog. Mr. Phelps owns this place? Yeah. That's Phelps who's lying behind the bar? Yeah. Hey, Doc, that's the proprietor of this place. He's out there in the stretcher. Yeah. Think he'll pull through? He'll be doing well if he lives more than a couple of hours. A bullet in is just above one of his eyes. Mm. What about the other fellow who's shot? He has a fighting chance anyway. Chap up front, he was in the Rayburn's all right. Fight scalp wounds. I see. All right, I'll check with you later about Phelps, Doc. Okay, Captain Pentry. Now, uh, Murphy, I want you to tell me all you can about what these hold-up men look like. Well, sir, the guy that started the rough stuff here at the bar when Ross grabbed at him... 
He looks like a mix. Young or old? Oh, none of them was old. This bird looks about to be in his early 20s. Uh-huh. What about the man who shot Phelps? About the same age. Only he looks more like an American. Uh-huh. And the bandit who shot up front, what did he look like? He looks like American, too. Maybe five or six years older than the other two, that's all. see. Do you recognize this gun we found beside Phelps' body? Yes, yeah, his own. Smith and Wilson passed his house. And what about thirty-eight? we found in front of the bar? I never saw that one before. It must belong to one of them pickup guys. Anything else you can tell us that might help? Well, the guy that shot my bar called the Mexican-looking fella a Johnny once or twice. Johnny, huh? Well, it might help. I hope so. Now, take a good look, Murphy. Most of your customers seem to be back here now. Is anybody missing who was here when the holder took place? No, I, I don't think so. They seem to be out back here, no? Are you sure? Well, of course, I, I can't. What about that old DJ who was here with a blonde hair? They ain't come back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, they didn't come back. Everybody else. An old man and a blonde, you say? Yes. Are they people you know? No, as far as I know, they've never been here before. Who's that woman talking to Sergeant Morphus? Oh, Miss Elliot. Oh, she's a regular around here. A darn nice young woman. Yeah, she's been talking to him long enough. Let's go over and see what she has to say. I can bet your last bucket isn't hot air, Captain. She's got two feet on the ground and brave. <laughs> she was one of the last of them out of the place. Well, all the more reason to hear the story. Come on. You ran out the back way while the worst of the shooting was going on. Is that it, Miss Elliot? Yes. When I got out in the alley, I got as close to the back wall as I could, and I tried to keep out of sight. Oh, that's perfectly natural. What happened then? Well, a blonde girl and an older man had followed me out of the cafe, and they were huddled against the wall with me. Yes. Then a few moments later, the bandit came racing out, and they made for a green Pontiac sedan that was parked several yards up the alley. As I leaned forward to see if I could catch the license number. You get in back, Johnny. I'm driving. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to keep out the mood out of the light. Down. 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 I'm sure that if the blonde hadn't yanked me down, I could have had those numbers for you. Well, they most likely felt they were acting for your own good, Miss Elliot. Well, maybe, but I'm not so sure. Why? What makes you say that? Well, it's just an idea. But when we were lying there in the alley while those bandits were getting away, the blonde and his friend were whispering to each other. If they were frightened, they certainly didn't show it. Whispering, eh? What about? I don't know. They were talking pretty low, but once or twice I heard the blonde girl giggle as if she saw something funny in what was going on. Maybe she was hysterical. She wasn't hysterical when she pulled me to the ground. I see. Well, you've given us a swell clue in noticing the make and color of their car, and we have a pretty good description of them. Oh, oh, one thing more, Sergeant. Yes? That girl and her friend kept watching the door before those bandits entered the cafe as if they were expecting them. They were sitting where they could give a signal in case there were any police officers in here or the holdup might look too dangerous. Well, Miss Elliot, I'd like to ask a question. While that couple were listening together out in the alley, did you happen to catch any names? Names? No, I don't think. Oh, yes. Yes, I did. I'm sure I heard the older man call the girl Mary. Uh-huh. But you didn't hear any other name mentioned. No, I- I'm quite certain I didn't. Captain Tenfrey, I have an idea. Yeah? Uh, and... There's an unpaved alley out there, and the getaway car is bound to have left tire tracks. Yes, you're probably right. I'll have Miss Elliot here show me where the car was parked, and if I find anything of the sort, I'd suggest we leave a deputy to guard the tracks until it gets light enough to photograph. Sure. Meanwhile, I'll make a check up of stolen cars and see if we can make anything fit. Okay, now, Miss Elliot, if you show me... Shortly after daylight... Sergeant Morford returns to the alley behind the Beehive Cafe with his camera. A deputy is seated on the overturned box protecting the tire trap that had been found during the night. Morning, Sergeant. 
We're glad to see you. <laughs> What's the matter? Are you sitting sleepy? Well, a little cut eye's not going to do me any harm. What are you kicking about? It could have been raining. Yeah. Well, let's have a look at these tracks in the daylight. Okay, I'll get this box out of there. Oh, swell. Nice clear print. Yeah. You take the measurements, and then I'll get this camera set. Okay. Hey, say, how are those fellows that got plugged last night? We got homicide now against this bunch as well as robbery. Phelps, the owner of the place, died this morning. Yeah? That's too bad. Yeah. What about the other guy? Doc says he'll pull through all right. That's good. Uh, what about the money? Do you know how much those pickups got away with? Not very much. I think the bartender said it was $48. Yeah. Imagine killing a man. Forty-eight bucks. The last laugh was on the bandit. There were two thousand dollars in an empty soda carton, not more than three feet away from the cash register. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now the camera is set up. We'll see what kind of a picture we can get. Okay. And a photograph of the tire tracks, huh? Yeah. What's your interest in it, buddy? Nothing much. I work in the tire plant up the street here, and I just noticed that those tracks belong to our six ply Yale's Deluxe. Oh, do, huh? Yeah, that's one of the best tires we turn out. Got any idea what kind of a car might use them? Most likely one of the better ones. Yale's Deluxe are expensive. Well, you suppose a person might buy them for a Pontiac? Sure. Just the other night, I saw Pontiac equipped with Yale's Deluxe over on Belden Avenue. You did, huh? Yeah, it was a honey of a green sedan. Just the kind of a car I'd like to own if I could afford it. You don't remember where on Belden Avenue you saw this car, do you? Well, I'm not sure, but I think it was either the 6 or 700 block. I see well, I've got to get going before I'm late. Thanks a lot, buddy. That's okay. I like a lot. You're telling me. As soon as I get these photographs, we're going over on Belden Avenue and see just what we can see. Look, son. We've been cruising up and down the street for the last two hours. I don't see what's going to get us. You should, Steve. You've been asleep half the time. Yeah, but Hold on a minute. Hey, there's a place that looks kind of deserted. I just got a hunch. Uh, Look, the garage doors are open. Let's park and give the place a once over. Don't see what I mean. Come on. We'll look in the garage first. That's our best bet. I hope your hunch works, because we won't have to go cruising up and down the street anymore. Uh, I'm going to stick to the side of it. Well, I'm just as sick of it as you are, but there's no percentage in overlooking anything. Well, here's a garage. What happens now? First, I'm going to have a look at these tire tracks on the floor. See, this place is so full of junk. They got everything in here. Hey, take a look at these tracks, will you? Do they look familiar? My God, they look like the same one. That Pontiac's been in here all right. You bet it has. You want me to go back to the car and get the camera? Yeah, and while you're at it, uh, hey, wait a minute, huh? Aren't those license plates sticking out from under that pile of magazines? They still look like it. I'll pick them out. California plates. 3N8026. Hmm. What do you think, sir? I'm willing to bet a month's pay against a rubber two stick those plates were issued to that green Pontiac. What are you men doing here in my garage? I can answer your question, lady, but I think you'll be pretty busy answering mine. We're from the sheriff's office. Oh, oh well, well, suppose we go into the house. We can talk better there. And so, as I say, I only met these people recently at a party. Naturally, I hadn't the faintest idea they were criminals. Let's see if I have these names straight on this leaf. Harry Groves, Leo Waller, Johnny Robles. Yes. Uh, Johnny Robles is the one you said was a Mexican, isn't he? Yes. And the blonde is Mary Groves, Harry's wife. Is that right? That's right. And the old fellow's name is George Brown? Yes, he spells it B-R-A-U-N. Oh, I had it B-R-O-W-N. <laughs> I'm glad you told me. The right spelling will make it easier to look him up if he has a police record. Suppose it does. And uh, all five of them were here last night, huh? Yes. And Harry and George Brown left a little before the others. 
Then that's why Harry Groves and Johnny Robles were out fixing something that was wrong with the car. Yeah, while they were out switching license places, more like it. Uh, outside of the Groves' address, which you gave me here, you don't know where any of the others live. No, yeah, and I wouldn't have known that when only Mary gave it to me the other day. Well, I won't take any more of your time, Mrs. Lee. You've been very helpful, and I appreciate it. Oh, that's all right. I have no doubt your information will go a long way toward putting these people in jail where they belong. I sincerely hope so. Oh, uh, will it be all right if I use your telephone for a leave, Mrs. Lee? Oh, right ahead. It's right there in the hall. Thank you. Telephone the sheriff's office and make a report of this. Hey, Captain, this is Sergeant Morford. Yeah, Morford. Have you got anything on that Pontiac yet? Yeah, it was reported stolen a few nights ago. Why? Did it have license plate 3N8026? What's that? How did you know? Because I got those plates in my hand right now. What's more, I've positively identified the Pontiac as the bandit's car. Well, that ought to give us a good lead. Wait, I haven't finished yet. On top of that, I've got the names of the three gunmen besides those of the blonde and the old geezer tangled with Miss Elliot in the alley behind the cafe. Nice well, Captain, I think you better take a couple of the boys and meet me at an apartment house that's the hangout of one of the bandits and his wife. Wait a minute, I'll give you the address. The search of the apartment reveals nothing of importance, and it's decided to abandon further search for the moment while the record is checked for criminal records against the bandit suspect. You know, Tom, acts is one thing that almost always gives us fellas a break. But near every time a job like this Beehive Cafe business is pulled, the suspects have a record as long as your arm. Yes, there's no question about that, Sarge. Take this guy George Brown, for instance. His record dates back 25 years. Yeah, I know. He's been in and out of prison more times than you can take a stick at. Well, good. He's no stop either. Been playing hide and seek with a judge since he was 12 years old. And Waller's record is nearly as bad. Oh, well, they never learn. Anyway, Grove's landlady has identified his and his wife's pictures, and Mrs. Lee has identified all five of them from their mug pictures. I don't think it'll be long now. That bartender, Dan Murphy, is coming out to put the finger on him, too, isn't he? That'll be here any minute. Have we got anything against Johnny Robles? Drunk driving's all. Well, he'll wish it was only drunk driving when we pick him up this time. Come in. Oh, hello, Murphy. How are you? I'm still trying to see if you from the student last night. <laughs> well, I don't doubt it. Yeah, have a chair. Thanks. Murphy, I want you to take a look at these photographs and see if you recognize any of the people. I'm sure that this is the man who beat her ass over the head with his gun and then shot him. He's a fellow they call Johnny. Yeah, what about the others? Huh? Oh. Uh, this is the one who stood over by the, the record machine and killed Mr. Phelps. This fellow is the one who knocked out Rayburn down with the peanut machine. What about the last two? Yeah, I recognize them too. It's the blonde girl and the old man who was sitting at the table together last night, you know. Thanks, Murphy. That's all we wanted to know. Uh, is it all right for going now, Sergeant? Sure. Well, so long. Goodbye. <coughs> As far as I'm concerned, that settles it. We got the right mob, Carmack. Satisfied that he's on the right track, Sergeant Morford checks for the motor vehicle bureau and learns that George Brown has a printer sedan registered in his own name. Obtaining the license number, Morford telephones all the agricultural stations along the California state line and tells them to be on the lookout for the premise bearing these plates and also for the green Pontiac sedan. Then, late the following Sunday afternoon, the telephone rings in Captain Penbrace's office. Captain Penbrace speaking. Hey, Skipper, this is Walford. Yeah? Look, I just got a call from the agricultural station at Pittsburgh, Arizona. Brown's Plymouth checked through there, and a green Pontiac checked through at the same time. Were they able to give you the license number of the Pontiac? Yeah. 45. Okay, let us check with the Arizona authorities, Morford. Right. You got any new leads on that beehive case, Captain? Oh, hello, Thomas. 
Yeah, Martha just called and said he'd learned our birds were heading east. They crossed into Arizona this afternoon. Arizona, huh? Uh-huh. Well, here's something that might give us a lead, then. Yeah, what's that? In checking through the records of the suspects in this case, I found that Leo Weller was only released from Joliet a short time ago. Yeah? Well, while he was in there, he used to get letters from his friends in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, is that right? And I think we've got him. The most likely figure on hiding out there until the heat gets off. That's the way I look at it, too. Tell me what you do. You and Morford get on down there and see if you can locate him. We may be able to nab the whole crew at the same time. Okay. In the meantime, I have an idea that I think might bring results. Uh, leave the door open when you go out so I can get Williams in there, will you? Yeah. I'll see you when I get back, Captain. Good luck, Carmack. Oh, Williams. Yes, sir? Come in here a minute, will you? Yes, sir. Williams, I want you to see that every newspaper with any kind of a circulation in Southern California gets the names and pictures of the suspects in the Beehive case. And the sooner the better. In Phoenix, Morford and Carmack have little difficulty in locating the place where Walter's friends live. But once again, the suspects have disappeared. The search of the house, however, brings them the information they want. Hello, Captain Ten, please. This is Morford. We got something hot. All right, Hello. The gang is split up. Groves, Waller, and Robles are heading east to Kansas City in the Pontiac. Mary Groves and George Brown are doubling back to California. How'd you find out? Well, Carmack and I got into the place where the gang hid out after they got here. Without a note, Groves wrote to his wife after he and the other two pulled out. Groves told her to send his things to 503 Locust Street, Kansas City, after she and Brown got back to Los Angeles. Uh, I'm telephoning the Kansas City police to keep their eyes on that Locust Street place. How's it going, Wilson? I think you boys might as well drive back here. Only I suggest you come by way of San Diego. San Diego? Well, Skipper, that's 200 miles or more out of our way. Yeah. I thought you boys might like to take in a Well, if you got a tip on them in San Diego, wouldn't it be better to send a couple of the boys down there out of Los Angeles? Brown and the Groves girl will move on before we can get there. I think they'll wait for you. You see, they surrendered to the San Diego police after they saw their names and pictures in the papers. How'd the papers get a hold of their names and pictures? I arranged it myself. I didn't go to thought it, but the stir-up thing was a stir-up thing, and then it did. Only surrender was more than I bargained for. Yeah. Wonder why they did it. Well, frankly, I don't know what they're doing. I just Yeah, that's the only reason I can see. And another thing, Morford, don't expect to find a blonde. She's a brunette now, but she's still in good. She's married to Okay, Skipper, we'll pick him up on our way home. All right, Morford. You boys, let me get here. Two days later, George Brown and Mary Groves are back in Los Angeles, seated in one of the rooms of the district attorney's office. Brown, throughout a stiff drilling, denies all guilty knowledge of the beehive job. Next comes Mary's turn, with Captain Penfrey and Sergeant Morford putting the questions. What do you know about this hold-up and shooting, Mary? Not a thing, Captain Penfrey, honestly. Now, look, Mary, there's no sense in lying about this thing. I'm not lying. I'm not, I tell you. You were sitting in the cafe when your husband came in to hold it up, weren't you? Yes, but I didn't know he was going to hold it up. I swear I didn't. Isn't it true that you've driven the car for Harry Groves when he's made other hold-ups? No. Well, you knew he was a stick-up man, didn't you? I knew Harry'd been in trouble a lot during his life, but I... Yes, but what, Mary? Well, I suppose I did know that he was doing some things that weren't quite right. You say you didn't know he was going to hold up the beehive that night, is that it? Yes. Did George Brown know it? I don't know. I don't think so. But you're sure you didn't know about it? Yes. Well, then how? How did you come to be sitting in a cafe while your husband was sticking it up? Well, Harry and I had been separated for several months. I didn't recognize him. I was too frightened, I guess, so. So I ran out of the place with George Brown. You say you and your husband were separated? Yes. 
Well, if you and your husband were separated, it's a funny thing your landlady didn't know anything about it. You haven't got an answer for that one, have you, Mary? And you say you didn't recognize your husband on the night of the shooting because he was so frightened. Yes. You were sitting facing the door, weren't you? I think so. What? Well, then how is it you didn't recognize him during the four or five minutes it took him to drink a glass of beer and select a number on the record machine, which was near your table, and get the thing to playing? You weren't scared then, were you? You haven't got an answer for that one either, have you? Come on, Mary. Why don't you tell us the truth? I am telling you the truth. I haven't got anything to be afraid of. If you haven't anything to be afraid of, then why did you dye your hair? You haven't got an answer for any of them, have you, Mary? Well, Mary, I'm sorry. But I'm afraid we'll have to hold you and George Brown without bail on charges of murder and attempted murder. No. No, I don't know anything about it, I tell you. I know that I tell you. You can't give it to me. You can't give it to me. Three days later, a green Pontiac sedan containing three men approaches the outskirts of Kansas City. What are you slowing down for, Leo? Well, I'll leave you guys. What do you mean, leave it? Yeah, what are you talking about, Leo? I've traveled as far as I'm going in this hot car. Well, what's the matter with you? You getting soft? No, I ain't getting soft. But I ain't too fond of the idea of getting slapped back in the can either, see? Well, oh, we got this far without no trouble, didn't we? Yeah, but I'm thinking there's more luck than anything else. Ah, oh, you're nuts. All right, I'm nuts. You and Johnny can go on if you want to, but as far as I'm concerned, this is the end of the line. Don't worry, we will. Suppose that was a bum tip we got from the Los Angeles Sheriff's Office, do you, Ray? We've been staked out in this local street place for a pretty near a week now. Maybe the guys they told us about are doing a little sightseeing along the way. Well, a job like this can get pretty tiresome. I'm beginning to see... Hey, look. Huh? Hey, that's a green party accident, all right. And they're pulling up in front of the house. Yeah. But there ain't two of them in it. Report said three. Never mind that. You see the license number. There's a micro license number to California plant. Yeah, number six. It's them, all right. They're coming down the wall. Huh? And they've been ready to slow down on them in the middle of the road. I'm not likely to get killed. And men wanted for murder. Quiet at a camp. All right, put up your hands, boys. This is it. What? Yeah, uh, what's the rap, copper? I'm thinking you know as well as I do. Better, maybe. Take them down for a silly fella. Yeah. Put the cuffs on them. How'd you mugs know we was coming? Little birdie told us. Hey, wise guy, eh? You know, they're going to be mighty glad for you back there in California, you two. Almost as glad as the state of Missouri will be to get rid of you. There. Those cuffs will keep out of mischief for a while. Okay. Now, where do we go from here, Flatfoot? Right now, we'll go down to space, and after that, I wouldn't be thinking too much about where I was going if I were you. Now, come along, both of you, before I lose my temper. <laughs> moment we shall hear the conclusion of our story. In the meantime, I ask that you remember two things, very important things to the motorist who wants most for his money. For the complete protection of your motor, use real loose. The lubricant that can't be congealed by freezing weather any more than it can be broken down by excessive engine heat. And for maximum money-saving power, pickup and smooth acceleration, real gun to crack. The gasoline of outstanding for each car's performance. Grove, Robles, and Brown were sentenced to life imprisonment in San Quentin. Waller was later captured in Illinois and will be extradited for trial. Once again, the lawbreaker is learning that crime does not pay.
Simmons County Sheriff's Office calling all cars, attention all cars, the translation broadcast 272 regarding a holdup. The section is safe now in custody. That's all. Rose Nichols. Thank you.